0: Recode Radio presents Recode Decode, hosted by Kara Swisher, powered by digital media.
1: Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, executive editor of Recode, and you're listening to Recode Decode, a podcast about tech and media's key players, big ideas, and how they're changing the world we live in. This is our special weekly segment with host Peter Kafka, Recode's senior editor and producer of Code Media Conference. Joining Peter each week are some of his favorite movers and shakers in the media world, This week, Peter talked to Shawnee Hilton, executive editor of news at BuzzFeed, a small little website you might have heard of. Peter and Shawnee spoke about how she rose to a senior role at one of the biggest new media sites in the world just a few years out of college. Here's Peter.
0: Thanks, Kara. I'm here with Shani Hilton who is executive editor of BuzzFeed News or executive editor of news at BuzzFeed or executive a title editor of like
1: Common News.
0: And that means what at BuzzFeed? It
1: essentially means that I oversee our US news operation.
0: So anything cool and newsy that comes out of BuzzFeed, you assigned, you edited, you wrote, you signed off on.
1: Some of it. Yeah. We're a pretty autonomous organization. A lot of it is ground up, but I do kind of oversee our biggest, some of our biggest projects, and you know our day to day. Operation. So let's
0: pull back even further. You, BuzzFeed is maybe the most important new digital publisher in the last couple of years. I would say so. You would say so. <laughs> and one of the things that BuzzFeed is most famous for is producing lots of new, interesting news stories. You're in charge of that. You've got a staff of 100 plus people.
1: Yeah, around 150 total globally.
0: That's amazing. And so, I mean, obviously you'd have to be in the business for, what, 20, 30 years to reach that position?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: How long have you been doing news?
1: Well, I mean, it depends on how far back you want to go. Let's go
0: post-college. <laughs> okay.
1: Post-college, uh, like six years. Seven oh my years. God. Yeah.
0: Wow. So you went to college where? You went to, I went
1: to Howard University. Went to Howard
0: University, so you must have graduated in the 2000s. Mm-hmm. And what did you think you'd be doing after Howard
1: it's funny, I went. I got a journalism degree and I went in thinking I would be in news and I left thinking I w- didn't want anything to do with news because I was a little burned out as one does when one is 21 years old.
0: Sure, a jaded, <laughs> smoking cigarettes, um, news businesses ground me up and spit me out, I'm <laughs> pretty done.
1: Pretty much, you know, you start when you're 13, It's. it really does take a lot out of you. And so I thought that I was going to be, you know, I thought for a while I was going to do news design and be a graphic designer and then I thought, you know what, I want to get out of this all together and then I went to Princeton and worked in their comms department. I started as a designer, and then I moved into like actually writing again. And then I realized I missed news and came back.
0: So you got back into news yeah. at the, the grizzled old age of 23, 24. Yeah. You were watching a city paper for a while. I was. And, and how did you end up at BuzzFeed? And what was BuzzFeed when you ended up there?
1: Uh, BuzzFeed was... Fairly small. I think, you know, I was uh, like employee number 224 or something. Uh, so
0: big, but not.
1: Yeah. But that was across the entire organization, uh-huh. sales and tech and everything. And it was a few years old at that point. And I was sort of looking to get out of D.C. I, I mean, I love D.C., but I was looking to sort of get out of political journalism. That And I wasn't. And I didn't want to stay in local news. So I thought, OK, New York, if you can make it there. But then, you know, I emailed around, emailed some folks that I knew in New York and got connected with an editor at BuzzFeed who eventually hired me. So you thought, be, I
0: want to go to New York yeah. and work at something.
1: Yeah. yeah, and I was like, this place is willing to hire me. We'll see, you know, I'll hang around there until the wheels fall off.
0: So this is BuzzFeed circa what what year?
1: This was t- end of 2012 is when I was talking. End of
0: 2012. So this is several years into BuzzFeed's transformation from thing Jonah Peretti was screwing around with on the side at Huffington Post to he'd hired Ben Smith uh, who had been from Politico were sort of well regarded in at least new media journalism circles and old media journalism circles and, and was on its way towards sort of like establishing its journalism bona fide so it wasn't just cat pictures then right It
1: was Ben had been there for a year uh-huh. basically so yeah And
0: so what was your perception of what they were doing
1: It was really fun I mean it was you know, I was dazzled by seeing the Empire State Building outside of my window. But, you know, I thought it was the kind of stuff that was working on the Internet at that point. It was, you know, interesting essays. There was some reporting. The politics team was all really smart and good and people that I had heard of and, and known for some time. I'd read Ben years and years before during the 2007 election. So I felt confident in in the journalism that they were doing. But we didn't really have a breaking news team at that point, so I kept inserting myself because it, it had nothing to do with my job. My job was like fashion and essays and.
0: You were writing all that stuff. Or no, I was. Or I was both?
1: editing and assigning.
0: So, but just before you went to Buzzfeed, yeah. was there any question? I'm just trying to put myself in the. In your mind, in the mind of an ambitious 20-something a couple of years ago, was BuzzFeed a place that you wanted to go or a place that you'd go if you couldn't go to the New York Times or some more w- I place?
1: wasn't that interested in working in traditional media because I knew that I 100% did not want to work on the web for a place that was not primarily digital. Why is that? Because I had done it. Yeah. And I didn't like it. Because? Because it's really difficult to be a second-class citizen in a newsroom where the old media is what matters most. And while I really liked when I worked for digital for NBC, it was really fun and I learned a lot. I also just didn't feel like it was a job that would lead to like being the primary part of So but, you
0: think that's still the case at a lot of sort of traditional media yeah. companies that the traditional media companies who also have some sort of web presence Yeah or they're starting like they're presence. starting
1: to figure it out. I'm seeing a shift, but I still do feel like Going to the digital side of a of a legacy publication is not ideal.
0: So you knew that I want to be all in on an all digital company. Yeah. Were you looking around at other places? Were you sort of weighing different options?
1: I was sort of looking around, but I also somebody that I really trusted suggested BuzzFeed to me, and I thought, okay, well, you know, if this person thinks it's BuzzFeed, then I'm gonna try that out and see what happens. Like I felt confident in my ability to get a job. If it didn't work out, so
0: it's awesome to have confidence. There, there was there was a period, and it's still going on, but but for, I think it was stronger a few years ago. Where some of the older digital publications were really skeptical about BuzzFeed's ambitions and news. Put me in that category. Thought, all right, this is something they say they're, they they want to do, but also we've seen this playbook before. Huffington Post did this. You sort of you build up an audience, however you build it up, and then at some point you want to sell it to advertisers, or you want to sell it. Period. So you gussy it up with sort of more established news bona fides. I think, by the way, it's still happening some other places. Did that occur to you, or do you thought, no, no, this is they're serious about this, I'm in?
1: I mean, my thought was, you know, it seemed serious. Ben, to me, is like a very weird, very similar journalistic instincts. So I thought, like, this is the kind of person that I would like to work with. Jonah Preddy has only ever been very pro-news as a core part of the business. And the investment that they made early on, it was just really clear to me that, at the very least, I'm going to come out of this with some great work under my belt.
0: And so you jump in, you're doing features, and, and you said fashion?
1: Yeah, fashion, essays. I had the sports team. It was weird. We had a sports team. Uh, they reported to me. We had our early, early tech team reported to me. So there's
0: people reporting to you from the get-go?
1: Yeah, fairly quickly. Fairly quickly. Had you managed
0: folks before? Because, again, you're, you're like. You're not 14. I I was
1: I was the editor in chief of my high school newspaper, so certainly had. I didn't realize (laughs) that we could use
0: we could use high school newspaper bona fides, but that's fine. That's good. (laughs) Now you know. So, I mean, this is, so you basically moved to New York, you work for a big-ish digital publisher, and you are managing right away. Mm-hmm. That never occurs to you that maybe you are in over your head, or this is you've bitten off a lot.
1: No, you know what was great about it was that we were all sort of new to this. Like Ben had never managed anybody prior to coming to BuzzFeed. Dorisha Schaffr, who hired me, had also not managed anybody. She was my boss, but she moved to LA, so we were all very much figuring it all out together. All of the managers, so you know, I think. It helped that we had good, decent instincts about how to do that.
0: And you're not figuring out this this stuff out in the garage, though, right? You're doing it in very public view. Not only are you on the Internet, you're publishing news on the Internet, you're attracting a lot of attention. Are there things that you did when you were starting out, either as a manager or as someone generating news, that you sort of of said, oh, I wish we hadn't done that, or I wouldn't do that again if I was starting out now?
1: I mean, I think the thing that you learn the thing that that's interesting early on is with an unproven startup that that has a news presence the hiring is tricky right because there are people who are willing to make that jump but not all of jump them from... jump from wherever they were whether it's a magazine or some other established organization and some of them can scale as the company scales and like can be ambitious and some of them can't and it's really interesting to learn how people grow with a company that's growing really rapidly.
0: Do you think that's more about people who can figure out how to grow as a company grows, or do you think it's about people who can do a certain kind of work, a certain kind of journalism, but can't adapt to however BuzzFeed's changing the way it goes about doing media and journalism?
1: I think it's about ambition and not feeling like, okay, we've figured it out because what you end up doing is you you become stagnant and We're still in a state of figuring things out. Um, And that's really the challenge, especially as we become more established. And so for people like me or for Ben, who, like, we are into change, we're used to it, we're down with it, the bigger we get, the harder it is to get people to realize, oh, like, we don't always have to do things the way that we've done them for the last six months. We can change that.
0: So six months is a legacy (laughs) for you guys. Yeah. And again, I don't think this is your work and we can talk about sort of what it is that you do and what you don't do there. But you know, you, you will notice if you're looking at BuzzFeed from afar that for, I don't know, a couple of months, a ton of news quizzes are coming out of BuzzFeed. And clearly you guys have figured out something that works and you sort of repeat it. You do it over and over. You've even got sort of analytics that help you sort of tweak that stuff for maximum efficiency. Does that kind of model and template work for news as well?
1: It does, although I think, you know, the core of the way that we do news has been about not being necessarily comprehensive, not necessarily serving everything, but figuring out where we can break through and really throwing our resources at the places where we can add something as opposed to like trying to keep up with everybody else.
0: Right. Okay. So there's no template here for you. I guess it wants both comforting and also will freak you, right? You have to sort of invent a new way of covering things all the time.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think there is a bit of a template for some things. You know, if you have a mass shooting, we've had enough of those in the last. Two years that we know exactly what to do when that happens. Um, so there is a mass sadly. shooting template,
0: unfortunately. Yes,
1: there is a mass shooting template, unfortunately. Like you know, also with political primaries, you know, we have pretty experienced, long-standing political reporters and editors who know what to do when you know during that process. And then, you know, we have investigations, which we treat pretty traditionally in a lot of ways. So, you know, there's some things that we do have a template for, other things not so much.
0: So when you say traditionally, right, my my perception of the average BuzzFeed employee is that they're quite young. Whenever I step near your office, it looks a bit like Logan's Run. Everyone there appears to be 24. um, (laughs) Maybe they're a couple years older. I mean, do you have folks from – I know and occasionally you guys will say we've hired so-and-so from the Times. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming the bulk of your employees are in their 20s. Is that fair?
1: I actually don't know. No, okay. I don't know if that's so don't, true because
0: you don't probably illegal to ask them how old they are <laughs> when you hire them. Um, here's another way of putting it: Do you think many of them have established journalism backgrounds when they come to you?
1: Um, in t- for our news reporters, a lot of them are young. Most of them have had jobs at other places. Not all of them. Some of them are right out of college. But um, in terms of our more senior management, most of those people are you know older than I am. And, and have you know decades of experience at various positions. So when
0: you're onboarding people and you're saying, this is the BuzzFeed way, this is how we do things, or this is the, how we did things a month ago, and maybe it's <laughs> going to change tomorrow, what, what do they typically have to unlearn or learn? What's, the, what's something new that they're doing at BuzzFeed they weren't doing somewhere else?
1: I mean, I think the thing that we try to focus on is the, making sure that people don't feel like they can't try something new. That's huge. And so that's something that you learn... That's something that you, you learn quickly has like very little to do with age in terms of personality type. Like young people are not necessarily more inclined to be experimental and sometimes they can be very stuck in their ways. And often you will find young people. Yeah. And often you can find that some of your older editors or reporters are very inclined to experiment and try new things because they've been in careers for the last 10 or 15 years where they had to do the exact same thing every day the exact same way. Um, and so They're it's been, eager to try something new. Yeah, it's been really fun, actually, with some of our much more experienced reporters and editors to see them really embrace the web. Like you have our investigations editor who never sent a tweet before he came to BuzzFeed and now is obsessed. And not that he tweets all day long, but that he like, is like, constantly tweaking and thinking about exactly how to word things and get them out there. And he's, he, I mean, he really has embraced it, so it's very fun to see that kind of thing happen.
0: So speaking of embracing change, that is the theme of the Code Media 2016 conference, which someone like Shani should be attending. It's February 17th and 18th in Laguna Niguel, beautiful Pacific Ocean in February. Come on down. Code Media brings together more than 300 of the most influential people in media and technology, just like Shani, for two days full of candid, unscripted conversation with people like John Skipper, who runs ESPN. You can find out more at recode.net slash events. And because you are listening to this podcast, we've got a special opportunity just for you, our podcast listeners. We're going to give away a free, that's free, ticket to Code Media 2016. Here's the deal. You send me an email. You tell me why you want to go. We'll pick the best email. And we're going to give that person a free two-day pass. There is a catch. You're going to fly yourself out there and get yourself a hotel room. But it's a $3,000 ticket, so you're going to come out in advance. So here's the deal. Email me at recode.p.kafka at voxmedia.com. That's recode.p.kafka. That's my name and the letter P at voxmedia.com. Send it to us next week. We'll announce the winner. It's going to be very cool. It's our first ticket giveaway ever. Um, you guys are not in the events business, right, Shawnee? No. You guys will occasionally do something where you bring Seth Rogen in to talk about a movie, yeah. and drink beer. But
1: we don't do we don't do a ton of events. Although I think that may change. Who knows?
0: Yeah. So you let me talk about what BuzzFeed does and doesn't do. So you guys uh, have figured out a bunch of different ways to write about news online on your website. You've also figured out how to sort of port some of that stuff now to platforms like Snapchat, Twitter, we were talking about a minute ago, and video is very, very important to BuzzFeed. But I don't think you guys at BuzzFeed News do much video. Is that right?
1: We actually have started doing a bit more. We have a New York-based video team now that works on what we're calling BuzzFeed, which is you know lists and quizzes and lifestyle content, um, and also news. So we have a small team of people doing news videos. So
0: how do you think about video for the stuff you do? So w- whether you're covering a mass shooting or covering a primary or whatever the news story is of the day that you're writing about?
1: I mean, the thing that we know we don't want to do is replicate television video that just does not work. What we've been experimenting with are things like trailers for big stories, mini-docs around big stories. We've done a few of those with our bigger features. And then also what we kind of tentatively have been calling slideshow videos, but they're essentially picture text, picture text with music and sometimes sound um, that run on Facebook. So things that can reach a lot of people and inform them and then things that are specifically documentary style around a a big story
0: do you think that because of either the nature of video or the way we distribute video right now that that it's harder to figure out how to make news video work and i'll raise my hand and answer my own question which is it's the evidence so far suggests that it is right because no one's really figured out how to do video about something that's happening today work on the internet they still know how to do it on tv you can replicate tv badly on on the internet and then everything else seems to be stuff that is a bit evergreen at the very least
1: yeah, I think that that's true. We, we have not yet figured out how to crack essentially live news video.
0: And again, BuzzFeed broadly, a lot of the energy, a lot of the momentum, a lot of I think the revenue seems to be coming from the video group that's run by Zay Frank. He's got an entire factory out. It's in L.A. People, I think, put a lot of import in the fact that Jonah Peretti, who was based here in New York, moved out to L.A., Uh, Do you feel anxious at all about sort of the the notion that, that a lot of energy at the company is going towards video?
1: No. You know, it's been really actually it's been a lot of fun getting to work with them more. And I think that's been the nice part is, you know, Joan has been encouraging video to sort of integrate more with the rest of the company. And so that's been a good experience overall.
0: I'll beat it into the ground. So is video something that sort of you're playing with as an ancillary idea and maybe one day you'll figure it out? Or is it important for you to sort of crack it at BuzzFeed News?
1: I think... It's important to crack it in that it's really a huge moment for video right now, but it's not more important than the reporting and you know writing that we're doing.
0: So last week we had Chris Alcheck who runs Mike, um, sitting where you're sitting, and we talked for a while. And Chris's entire pitch is we're creating a news and, and media platform specifically for millennials do you guys spend time thinking about the idea that your audience is millennials? Are you aiming it specifically at millennials or do you think it just sort of happens that way by default?
1: I personally do not spend a lot of time thinking about whether this story reaches millennials. I do think that often it happens by default. Um, if you have a reporter who say writes about retail a lot, you're, o- you're obviously going to reach a lot of millennials because they shop and because they work in retail. And so, In that way, it's really great to be able to target an audience that we we already know that we have and be able to tell them the stories that matter to them. But, you know, millennials, I think, are essentially interested in the same thing that other people are, which is like, tell me something I don't know. Tell me something I care about. I don't know
0: what else there is to say beyond that. Yeah, I mean, my theory, I was arguing with Chris a bit, was I don't think millennials are significantly different than people who are older than them. They're they're just younger. Maybe the way they consume media is different because they're spending more time on a certain platform. Right. But it seems to me that really what you guys are talking about, if we're talking about digital publishers, right, when they're talking about millennials, they're really just talking about figuring out ways to reach large audiences online. Mm -hmm. Uh, I agree with that. Is that fair? Yeah. And do you spend much time thinking about sort of your distribution strategy and and how you create content for different platforms, or is that someone else's job?
1: That's part of my job. It's something that we're actually kind of thinking about really actively right now, which we're calling sort of news curation which is essentially instead of having three separate groups, one that runs the homepage, one that runs the app, the news app, one that does socials, we should bring them all together because what they're essentially doing is the same job. They're telling readers a multitude of platforms what matters. Um, And so that's something that we're just currently trying to figure out right now is how to to really centralize this idea of telling people what is happening.
0: So do you think about, all right, well, this is a story maybe – I don't know. We're covering the the primary, right? We're going to cover the Iowa primary, the Iowa caucuses. Should we think about creating stuff that's specific for Snapchat, that's specific for Twitter? Do we do one story and then cut it up five different ways for five different platforms?
1: We've been thinking about that, not in that much detail, though. We do have a Snapchat team that's based in LA from Zay's team, and they oversee the BuzzFeed Snapchat. And sometimes we do what we call, you know, a Snapchat takeover. With you know, for example, we did a Muslim identity content one recently. Yeah, but so we, you know, the the questions of Twitter goes to ten thousand characters. Do we just start publishing stories on Twitter? Maybe, you know, we we use Instagram. Obviously, we're doing Facebook. Thinking about native content that does take up a lot of our time, uh, but we haven't quite made an official decision on that strategy yet.
0: You mentioned the app. You guys launched an app a while ago. Some fanfare. It's. Pretty hard to launch an app these days. There's a ton of noise out there. How's that going for you guys?
1: It seems to be going pretty well. The people who love it really love it, which is nice.
0: So, I mean, do you think, all right, the app is going to be a part of what we do in perpetuity, or this is still sort of experimental for us?
1: I think it's really become part of our core strategy. The app, the newsletter, really kind of building out BuzzFeed News as a specific entity.
0: App, newsletter, website, mm-hmm. Snapchat. Like Vox Media that I work for, BuzzFeed got a big investment from NBC uh, Universal last summer. What do you think is going to happen there? What do you think you're going to end up doing with NBC? Are you guys going to make television shows for them? Or are you going to take their TV shows and distribute them on BuzzFeed?
1: I have no idea. Uh, it's been really nice to not have to think about that stuff. Really, you don't you do know, you don't spend time <laughs>
0: going up to Thirty Rock and, and sitting I, in those meetings.
1: I popped in a couple of times, and it seemed pretty clear that you know the relationship is really opportunistic, and I think that that makes the most sense. And we haven't really had a, a reason to work more closely with them for BuzzFeed News, so you know that's what I'm focused. There's no on.
0: BuzzFeed News segment coming on MSNBC or CNBC <laughs> or USA or Sci-Fi.
1: I don't know, not that I'm aware of.
0: They're pretty good, though. I mean, it's, it's pretty interesting, right? Because um, BuzzFeed, Vox, Vice, a bunch of these big digital publishers are very attractive right now, I think, to the television guys. Mm-hmm. I talked about this before. And meanwhile, I think there's a lot of energy expended, depending on who you talk to, It's some of the digital publishers to figure out how to get onto TV, because that looks like a pretty attractive platform. It's not clear to me exactly how those things transfer, though.
1: Yeah, I don't even – I don't know that TV is that attractive in my – I mean, but that's just my personal opinion. TV is that attractive
0: for you, for your employees, for – I mean, I
1: think it's attractive, but I don't know that it's actually as beneficial. I mean, eventually, like, right, like, there's a lot of money in TV right now, but does that stay true forever? I don't know.
0: That is the big question. (laughs) That's the big fun part of my beat is watching that sort of stuff. What kind of beat has been difficult for you guys to figure out how to cover that you'd like to crack?
1: (sighs) Um, I would say national security has been challenging. We have this great young reporter, Allie Watkins, but it's really the problem is that there are like seven national security reporters in the entire country slash world.
0: So we're defining national security as
1: um, just like foreign policy, thinking about you know FBI, etc. And each of those people has spent like the last 20 years getting sourced and it's really hard to crack that bead but that's you know that's the kind of thing that I Is think that about.
0: something you go all right well maybe we speed this up and we go take some of that NBC universal money and go hire the the best most prominent or some version of that Uh, Someone who's really good at at national security and and yeah, I mean,
1: that's that's one tactic, right? It's like hiring somebody who's really, um, who's really good and and sourced up on that, but we haven't quite figured out what to do there.
0: Is that part of the game plan? Look, we've got the money, whether or not it's NBC Universal money, doesn't matter. We can go out and hire a really credentialed, relatively expensive reporter, or do we not want to do that? Are we better up sort of training up? someone from our own ranks?
1: I think it's been a mix up to now of finding really just like the top of the class, best, most experienced reporters and bringing them in and editors. And then also using their expertise to help train up younger people. That's been actually the most fun thing is when you, when you bring in somebody who's got a ton of experience and you know, maybe they have a Pulitzer and maybe they have worked for 20 years. It's really important to us that those people are excited and psyched to work with a 24-year-old who just got a, out of college and is on her first beat. And luckily, we've, we've had that success with um, those relationships.
0: Can you tell in advance, oh, that's going to work? Or, or is it always a crapshoot?
1: I think it's more like, you know, you, you get a sense from the person what they want to do. And I think we've been lucky, basically.
0: <laughs> it's good to be lucky. What's the So we've got the election coming up. That's obviously going to be a big story for you. And I think Ben Smith, that's sort of core to his identity as a journalist. Mm -hmm. Um, What else is going to be important to you coverage-wise the next six, nine months?
1: Um, I mean, I think that we are just going to keep hammering on stories around just like really the thing that I'm, I'm focused on is uncovering wrongdoing, basically, and seeing where we can make inroads there, big and small. I mean, I think, you know, we're really interested in stories around, we had this big tennis story recently that showed evidence of match fixing. We have stories just of kind of, you know, American stories of injustice, whether that's, you know, people who been sent to jail wrongly or, you know, trying to figure out who killed a woman, this woman, Jessica Chambers, that was a big story for us. Just telling these stories that, I don't know, that open up our understanding of, you know, The country and the world also
0: big, ambitious, important stories—the stories that get attention. Yeah, stories that hopefully you know comfort the afflicted. Right? When you do these sort of things, do you keep running into people saying, "Why is BuzzFeed writing about match fixing in tennis or trying to figure out who killed someone or 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 any of this stuff?" Or do they go, "Oh no, no, it's natural that you guys would do this. You're a big national news organization."
1: You know, I think we're kind of at at a weird place where people who um are familiar with the media landscape. Don't have those questions anymore. It's very clear to them what what we're doing and why we're doing it. And then there are people who think it's funny to, you know, make jokes about cat pictures and sure, I love cat It's Probably pictures a middle too. ground, right?
0: Where you just where you're not really spending much time thinking about the media, right? Yeah. And maybe you don't know what BuzzFeed is or it, but it you is see delivering, their stuff. But you, you see, their see their stuff it, yeah. and it's showing up in your news feed and maybe you don't think of them as a serious news organization, not because you're a jaded media person just cuz you're just a regular human being. Right. But again, it's it's more and more common for you. Do you handle the investigative stuff like the like the tennis story?
1: I we have our investigations editor oversees that. We work together closely on a lot of these stories. So.
0: And that one was done with the BBC. That the first time that you was, guys had worked with BBC.
1: That was not the first time we worked with the BBC. We worked Buzzfeed UK worked with them on another story that was another investigation around a, an English charity called Kids Company. But this was BuzzFeed US, BuzzFeed UK, and BBC working together on the match-fixing story. And you've
0: done these other joint investigations in the past with, with other organizations? We've done a
1: couple. We did one with the Seattle Times recently into uh, Warren Buffett's loan company. And was that, that was that yours,
0: or was that, again, through the investigative group? That was through the investigations group. And, and is that a resource thing? Is it, is it a credential thing, both?
1: I think it just depends on—it's often like information sharing when you have— these different pieces of the puzzle and you, you're you able to bring them together in collaboration with another company.
0: You know, it's not parallel, but I think of the uh, Al Jazeera, HGH, Peyton Manning story from mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago, and there seems to be an issue with that story, but uh, the uh, part of the issue with that story was it was coming out from Al Jazeera. Mm-hmm. and So it was a lot of people hearing it said, well, that's just not a credible story. It's coming from Al Jazeera. They didn't understand what it is. But you guys think you've sort of cleared that hurdle. A, a BuzzFeed investigation is no longer sort of a question mark.
1: Yeah, I think so.
0: It's pretty awesome.
1: Yeah, it is.
0: So I came here late. You were on your, your iPhone. Is this a 24-7 job for you? Um, Do you need to be checking your phone constantly?
1: Yeah, it it is, but it's it's not too burdensome. I really like the work. So, you Do know. you get
0: downtime? Is there time when the phone goes off?
1: I try to, when I'm away, when I'm actually on vacation, I try not to look at work. But otherwise, I'm... I'm peeking at my phone. And we just
0: talked for like 22 minutes and you did not look at your phone once, which was (laughs) awesomely impressive. I don't want to keep you from it any longer. Johnny, thanks so much for your time. Yeah,
1: happy, too. Thank Appreciate you. it.
0: And thank you, listeners, for tuning in. If you enjoyed listening to this interview as much as I did conducting it, you should subscribe to the show. Catch up on previous episodes. Be the first to listen to future episodes, all on recode.net slash decode. And if you're listening to this, you probably know already that Recode Decode is twice a week, every Monday and Thursday. And now there's a new show, also free. You should listen. It's called Too Embarrassed to Ask. It's hosted by Kara Swisher and Lauren Good. Every Friday, Karen and Lauren answer your burning tech questions, also other tech questions, and they review the latest gadgets. You should check it out. The second episode is tomorrow, January 22nd, and you can find all the info about how to listen and how to subscribe at recode.net slash podcasts. Kara's back on Monday. She's going to be talking with Lyft President John Zimmer, and I'll be here on Thursday with Nick Denton of Gawker Media. Tune in then. This has been Recode Decode, hosted by Kara Swisher, powered by digital media. For more hard-hitting interviews with insiders from the worlds of tech, media, and politics, subscribe to Recode Replay on iTunes, featuring candid conversations with leading voices like AOL CEO Tim Armstrong, Goldman Sachs' CIO Marty Chavez, the team behind the hit TV show Empire, Shark Tank investor Mark Cuban, and presidential candidate Hillary Clinton. They're all on Recode Replay.